Welcome to the All Things Work podcast from the Society for Human Resource Management. I'm your host, Tony Lee, Head of Editorial Operations here at SHRM. Thank you so much for joining us. All Things Work is an audio adventure during which we talk with thought leaders and tastemakers to give you an insider's perspective on all things work. Joining me today is Jamie Fall. Jamie's the director of Upskill America at the Aspen Institute based in Washington, D.C., which is an employer-led movement to expand opportunities for workers by promoting training and advancement practices to help them progress in their careers and move into better paying jobs. Jamie's career in the field of workforce development spans 25 years, and prior to his tenure at the Aspen Institute, he was the HR Policy Association's Vice President for Talent Sustainability. And his previous experience also includes working for the state of California, where he served as Deputy Secretary of Employment and Workforce Development. Today, we're talking about upskilling and the practice of employers providing education and training to their employees to help them advance their careers. Jamie, welcome to All Things Work. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, terrific. We're, we're so pleased to have you. Um, so upskilling, it's a very interesting area. You know, the World Economic Forum projected that by 2022, just two years from now, 54% of all employees will need upskilling. Can you share with us why you think that that's the case? Well, Tony, in my work with employers, what I hear is that just the nature of jobs are changing. More technology is being rolled out in the workplace. More is being asked of workers. More soft skills are required of workers. So there's a whole range of reasons that uh, just the day-to-day activities that are performed on the job are different. And that pace of change appears to be and feels like it's accelerating. Oh, so here's a quick area I wanted to get out of the way as we begin this discussion. I have talked to some critics who say when you talk about skill shortage, skills gaps, the need for upskilling, they say, well, you know, all of that is a function of the current talent shortages with a strong economy. And when we see an economic downturn, we're not going to need these anymore. There'll be plenty of people. And I've talked to a lot of folks who disagree. Where, Where do you fall there? Yeah, so I don't agree with that either, Tony. There's just uh, too much change that's happening right now. And uh, let me let me give you a couple of examples. So I talked to one of the larger healthcare systems in the United States, and they told me a story that what really affects their reputation isn't whether or not someone goes to the doctor and they are cured of their symptoms or treated appropriately by the doctor. It's, is the receptionist uh, rude to them when they come in? And how long do they have to wait on the doctor? So just that one tiny example is, is one of the ways that social media has really changed the way people have to perform their jobs and the way that people interact with one another. And so, uh, you know, soft skills is so much more important in so many different positions. And, uh, you know, that's just one tiny example. Sure, we could go on all day about other examples of the ways that people need to be expanding their skill set and why, but every employer I talk to whether it's technology challenges, the ability to work with tools, uh, whatever it might be, they're really facing a need to expand the skill set that their workers have. Okay. And and that is a great example. I mean, when we talk about upskilling, we often hear it's folks aren't necessarily needed to collect data so much anymore. They need to be able to analyze data. You know, it's automation. You know, in the example you just gave, you you walk into a doctor's office, maybe not today, but in a year or two years or, or soon. And instead of seeing a receptionist, you see a kiosk and you type in what you're interested in and eventually someone will call you over an intercom, right? You won't interact with the person. It'll all be automated. 
if you even go to the doctor's office, right? You may be right. able to do it yeah. at your uh, local uh, mall or big box retailer. Yeah. Or telemedicine from your home, right? Totally. But given all of that, we still need human capital to help make sure that the information is collected properly, that the next steps are taken in terms of fulfilling medication that's needed. So talk a little bit about perhaps some of the experiences you're seeing and how companies are starting to upskill their employees to handle that challenge. Well, Tony, uh, some of the examples that I might be able to give you, not too long ago, I heard representative from uh, AAA in the Northeast talk about how he has a company that has been built, so employees want to come and they want to stay. And it's wonderful that they have very low turnover, but uh, one of the outcomes of that is that they have people who have been in the workforce a long time and haven't really received any training around data analytics. But in order for them to be able to do their job and to do it well, they really have to understand what the data is telling them and how to use it in the work that they do. So they've contracted with the uh, community colleges of Rhode Island to provide uh, data analytics training for all of their workers. So that's, again, just one example of uh, what's being done to really upskill workers who have been very good and very productive at their job, but just what's being asked of them is changing. Yeah. What would you say are, are the, the commonalities between employees who tend to need upskilling? I mean, is it that they don't have a college education? Is that they're older? I mean, what, what do they tend to share in common? So, Tony, I think I think it's that they aren't that common in many ways is really what I see. So as I talk to employers, I hear employers talk about the extreme need to help people in the very lowest level of the skill sets, getting new skills so that they can be productive and so they can move up in their careers. And that can be anything from completing a high school program to improving their English language abilities to digital literacy. So those are some of the basic things. There's this huge stretch in the middle that deals with technical skills that employers need people who can do coding, data security, cybersecurity, issues like that, that uh, companies really need people who can help with this whole range of, of technical uh, issues that they have. And then at the really high end, you have companies like Amazon saying that they employ approximately 2,000 uh, software engineers, but yet anyone who's graduated more than three years ago really doesn't have any machine learning experience or formal education. So what's happened is they've created their own machine learning university. So I think, Tony, more than just like one commonality, I would really point to the scope of uh, how broad the upskilling need is. So if I am uh, managing HR at a company and I'm thinking, boy, I don't have the skill set among my current staff that I think I'm going to need, I need to think about upskilling and what I'm going to do, what would you suggest is a good first step in, in the planning of that type of a program? Well, obviously, it should all start with skills, right? And I don't think anyone in HR would not know that. Uh, you've got to really understand what skills you need and where your company is headed and try to plot the path that's going to uh, get you there. More advice that I would offer is just uh, get help. For many companies, this isn't what they do on a full-time basis. And in some cases, it isn't particularly what they do well. But there are a lot of folks out there who can really help companies plot a course and put programs in place to get them to where they need to be. Now, of course, the next question you typically hear is, so is this expensive? I mean, I did see some research that said the average cost of upskilling an employee is about $1,300. 
but I'm not sure what makes that up. I mean, typically, what do you see? Yeah, I couldn't point to something I would consider an average upskilling activity. But, you know, I would just say that whether it's expensive or inexpensive, it's what companies need to do to remain competitive. And so uh, I would also point to the fact that uh, there were uh, five studies that were done by Lumina Foundation a couple of years ago that showed that companies that invested in their workers through uh, education benefit programs all returned a positive return on the investment from those expenditures in their education benefit programs. And also uh, just would encourage companies that other work that we've done, we have a Good Jobs, Good Companies initiative also at the Aspen Institute that really looks at companies can do what's right for the company and what's right for their workers at the same time. And we uh, just fundamentally believe that uh, data bears that out. I mean, do you lean toward a program where a company might partner with, say, a local community college or a local, you know, educational institution of some sort? Or would you, do you see them, you know, maybe bringing in a a consultant to help them build an internal training program? I mean, is there... Are there examples that you've seen that tend to work better than others? Yeah, I believe that it's really a very individual choice that the companies have to make depending on what their needs are, what their education providers are locally. In some cases, there are fantastic community colleges that can build programs that will take care of needs. In other cases, it might be a community college that's going to take two years to approve their curriculum, in which case it's probably not going to be a workable solution for an employer. So I would just say that I I've seen examples where it works incredibly well just using local resources, and I've seen other cases where someone has to go with an online national program. And of course, you know, the structure of the business matters as well, right? Is it a large employer with uh, with facilities clear around the country, or is it someone who has a very heavy presence in one local area? So all of that really goes into the decision that they need to make. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that we found was that Using tuition reimbursement programs, which is the very traditional way, you know, to handle upskilling, so to speak. You know, an employee says, I realize I'm deficient in this area. I want to learn more. So I'm going to go take some classes and tuition reimbursement will pay me. But, you know, it's a fairly long process and it doesn't necessarily lead to training that an employee knows they need. It it might be around the edges as opposed to directly relevant. So are there alternatives to tuition reimbursement that you've seen? Uh, Yes. So a lot of the work that we do, Tony, is helping employers think about how to change from tuition reimbursement to what we call tuition disbursement, where there's a, a contractual relationship between the employer and an education provider where they've worked on which programs are going to be eligible. And uh, as many of those programs are offered online and they're flexible. So uh, I just couldn't agree more that tuition reimbursement programs in uh, many cases, I think are completely antiquated and really aren't very workable anymore. But um, that's actually one of the bright spots in the work that I do as seeing uh, all of the companies that have really stepped back and rethought their tuition programs. There are cases where many of them have eliminated the wait time that employees used to have to wait until they could enroll in the programs. They've opened the programs up to uh, part-time workers where they used to only be open to full-time workers. And in many cases, you know, the old clawback clauses where if you 
complete a program and leave within a few years, you have to pay the money back. A lot of companies have eliminated those as well. And there are a whole bunch of other things that have been really encouraging. Employers are offering more really robust career counseling along with the programs that they offer, as well as they're much more focused on helping individuals complete the programs. So there's uh, much more coaching that goes along with the programs that are being offered now. Yeah, that sounds like a sound approach. How about in terms of the flexibility of study? I mean, in, in some cases, you have employees who say, I'm working as a uh, you know medical technology person, but what I really want to be is a floral designer. So I'm going to go take classes in something completely different versus the employer saying, well, you know, we want you to upskill in this specific area because this is where we have a need and that's what we will be happy to pay for. So there are all kinds of different examples that I could point to, Tony. So Disney would be an example of a company that's offering uh, tuition assistance, and they really allow you to take almost any program that you want to, whether you're going to stay with Disney or whether you're going to move on. All kinds of reasons for that, right? Disney's a huge company. They have all sorts of uh, skill needs, so they can provide more flexibility. And then there are other companies that have really structured their programs where if you really want to have everything paid for and no out-of-pocket costs, that they select the number of majors, for example, that people can take our certification programs. And then the individuals can get all the costs paid. But if they choose something outside of that or outside of a preferred vendor, then they either have to upfront the cost or they have to pay a larger percentage of the cost. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about gamification? You know, there's there's been a lot of talk that upskilling, you know, is a little like castor oil. I'm, I'm not sure I really want to do it. I, I get there's a long-term benefit, but it's not a lot of fun. Has gamification changed that? Well, it certainly has in some cases. Uh, there, there are all kinds of technologies that I think have really improved it. I think virtual reality is helping. It's helping companies be more effective. I know Walmart's invested heavily in virtual reality. In uh, Specifically to your question about gamification, I know there are many uh, sales positions that are using companies like OneHuddle to really help people understand their programs and what's required in the job. And they've turned it into more of a game and they claim that they're seeing really very positive results. So I think it's the deployment of technology in general is really helping people make some pretty significant strides in the type of upskilling that's available and the impact that can be gained from it. Yeah, thank you. You know, one other area that has gotten a lot of discussion around it in recent years is our apprenticeships because of the success, the track record that they've had primarily in Europe, uh, very heavily in Scandinavia. But for whatever reason, they haven't really taken off in the States as a method of upskilling. Do you have any thoughts on apprenticeships as an option? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Tony, we're huge fans of any sort of program that provides work experience and classroom education and where the worker is receiving payment for their uh, learning and their working. Uh, We just think that's the best possible combination. In uh, some cases, you know, employers are using an apprenticeship model, but they don't necessarily use a registered apprenticeship program. I would point to the Toyota Fame program that they've rolled out around the country in different places, including Louisville, Kentucky. Just an incredibly successful program, huge employer engagement, people gaining certifications around advanced manufacturing serve for a very large number of employers in the area. But again, that's an apprenticeship model. It's not just, it's not a registered apprenticeship program. And then you have companies 
companies like Aon in Chicago creating a new apprenticeship program to really help professional services workers within their industry and others in the Chicago area gain the skills that they need. So uh, there are some incredibly positive things going around apprenticeship, and we would love to see more of it because, again, we're such believers in the model when people can be earning and learning at the same time. Yeah, it's very encouraging. Good, good to hear. You know, an area that Sherm has been a real advocate of is is tapping untapped potential, you know, encouraging employers to look at folks with criminal histories, disabled employees, older workers. And it seems like upskilling might be a, a great way to not only include that untapped talent, but increase the diversity of the workforce. Uh, have you seen companies embracing that as well as part of their upskilling effort? Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the areas, in addition to the two that you mentioned, Tony, is around uh, IT. So uh, I've seen mm-hmm. companies, and again, Disney would, is an example that comes to mind. They have a Code Rosie program where they take females that are employed by Disney now who want to become IT workers, and they've created a separate program to help them get the mentorship and the training that they need in order to, to receive a certification and to be employed in IT work. So that's another area where there are uh, obviously uh, females, people of color, really highly underrepresented within IT. And so that's one of the many examples of a company trying to create opportunities for advancement and expand diversity within a particular part of their workforce. And of, of course, that's one piece of it, right? There also has to be culture changes in many cases to make sure that once people complete those programs, that they're accepted and feel comfortable in the work environment of where they would be going. All right. We have time for one one last area to talk about, which is, so I'm listening to this. I'm in. You know, I think upskilling sounds like a great idea. I'm going to look across my workforce and identify folks who can really benefit from it. So what are the roadblocks? What what should I be aware of to make sure, I mean, is it that I, I need to make sure that people actually have the time to do this? Do I give them time during the workday or do I expect them to do it during their free time? Even if I fund, am I funding enough? I mean, what are the things that you would caution folks to think about? Well, uh, we could probably do a whole separate show on that, right? There are all kinds of different uh, pitfalls that we've heard from. Uh, you know, one that comes to mind is just uh, people having digital access away from the workplace. So a company might create uh, an online learning program and require people to do it on their own time away from the workplace, but yet people don't actually have adequate uh, access to a reliable internet or a quality computer where they can really do the work. And then that limits the results that they get. Um, Also, another area that I see some employers not doing as much as I wish they would is in promoting the programs once they've created them. So they'll create a program, hand someone a flyer the day that they're hired when they have to fill out all their healthcare forms and everything else, and then uh, really not pursue that or follow up with the individual to have a personal development plan and then get them enrolled in any sort of upskilling program when that's appropriate. So there's all kinds of follow-through issues that employers need to be thinking about when they create a program and just making sure the pieces are in place to help people make good decisions and then complete the programs once they're in them. Very good. Well, that's great advice. Well, Jamie, thank you so much uh, for coming to All Things Work. We really appreciate your feedback and I'm sure uh, you would be open and welcome to any inquiries at the Aspen Institute for many listeners who want to know more, right? 
Oh, absolutely. That's what we're that's what we're doing. We're a nonprofit. We're not uh, in the business to to charge people for the work. We just want to make sure that there are more opportunities for advancement in the workplace. And if we can help people who work with employers or employers themselves get connected to good resources that can help them do that, we would love to. That's great. Well, a big thank you to Jamie Fall for joining me today. And before we get out of here, I just want to encourage everyone to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, be sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review. And also be sure to check out Sherm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can find all of our episodes and more podcasts on Sherm.org. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on All Things Work.